Hey guys, before we get started today, I wanted to tell you about another great ESPN podcast. The CJ McCollum Show, where every week New Orleans Pelican star CJ McCollum discusses names and storylines in and around the NBA with inside perspective you can only get from someone in the locker room and on the floor. That's the CJ McCollum Show. Listen where you're listening to this podcast. Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast. One of the hosts thinks all golden retrievers should be named Tate. And they can all be golden Tate. That's Lenny. I'm Ina Kimes. I'm joined today ahead of divisional round is usually my favorite round of the playoffs. Ollie Connolly, do you agree? I agree. Best weekend of football, best teams, highest level. You just look at the AFC quarterbacks. This is about as fun as football gets. Yeah, we got the we got really lucky with these matchups too, I think. Um I'm excited to preview them. You guys know Ollie's been on the show before, but in case you aren't already subscribed, subscribe to his newsletter, The Read Optional. I'm sure you can find it on Twitter under, if you just look at his handle, I'll tweet it out. Um, and you should all check out, also check out his podcast, also called The Read Optional, which he hosts with John Ledyard, and it is fantastic. I'm really enjoying it. Thank you. I appreciate that. We, we babble for far, far too long in far too much detail, I think. I enjoyed, uh, so John covers the Bucks pretty closely and so i've really enjoyed hearing him talk about the bucks because he just hates them so much <laughs> you know Ollie, we did a show i did a nfl live from tampa on monday uh which is the tv show i do and then it was i think at one point i had picked the bucks and then we did the show and like by the end when they asked us for our picks i was like what am i doing the Bucks are not a good football team. The Cowboys are so clearly, I think like I had, it was like the week 18 Dak thing and then Brady having that one good game. I'd kind of like, you know, when you just sort of like talk yourself out of the really obvious thing. But fortunately, I talked myself back in time to remember that the Cowboys were a much better football team than Tampa. Yeah, and working with John by week 14, 15, I just saw this distressed, haunted look in his eyes as he banged <laughs> his head against the table, seeing the same thing every week. Just a terribly, terribly coached team and a bad yeah. team all around and they got duly smoked because the, the, the other team was smoked. far better than them smoked yeah we were like what can the bucks do to win and we just kept doing it and then at the end we'd be like it doesn't matter because they're not gonna do any of this this is pointless <laughs> yeah. um okay so yeah I, I i do really think we were talking about this earlier that we got a really nice a nice group of games with really fun quarterbacks and i am really excited for all of them and two of them were rematches which makes our lives a lot easier because we can go back and watch and see how they're different and how they've changed. And I, I figure we should just go in chronological order and start with Jags Chiefs. Um, okay, so <laughs> the first I just want to start by saying I had completely forgotten that Doug Peterson onside kicked to open this game, which incredible and makes me is that kind of thing amongst many other things that make me feel like okay well Doug Peterson's gonna like look for the edges right against this team. Then, however, he punted like in. Chiefs territory on that same drive, <laughs> so it kind of undermined it. Um, but I do want to start with the Jags offense against the Chiefs. So Patrick Mahomes was incredible in this game. We can talk about that side of the ball a little bit. Uh, but the Jags offense, I, I think in some ways, this is the where... The, it, it, what struck me, Ollie, was watching was how much they've grown since. And this was week 10. Um, how much better they've gotten against man coverage in particular, at getting their playmakers in space. Uh, at some point, the Evan Ingram was established, which has completely changed this offense. Did you have the same experience watching the Jags against Kansas City's defense? Yeah, it was strange going back and rewatching because it, it wasn't entirely different, but there was there was different facets to it. I do think that Doug 
you can just see how much fun he's having, I think. And he's hit on this thing now where if something's working, he's just going to run it yeah. again and again and again. Even in the Chargers game, they have multiple drives where he would just run the same play back to back. No huddle, back to back. We're just going to keep running the same thing over and over again. And I still think they were trying to figure out those six or seven concepts yeah. they could bank on during that Chiefs game. And they were really horizontal to open that game and it was kind of wasted. And they got a bit more vertical. They went into a bunch more empty as that game went along. And I do think we'll see a lot of that from them early on, which is spreading out as much as possible, trying to kind of stop Spags from setting the house early on. And they ran Trevor Lawrence a lot early in that game, either sprinting him out or the design run stuff. And I think we'll see a lot of that too, is trying to get Trevor on the move. Yeah, so Trevor got the ball out extremely quickly in this game. Uh, 2.29 second time to throw. But they, the Chiefs still pressured the hell out of him. This is one of their better pass rushing games of the season. Chris Jones was ballistic in this game, <laughs> um, which makes sense. If, if you're throwing that quickly, it's usually going to be interior pressure that gets you. But, um, you know, I, I, I do think that the Jags, I, first of all, I would say I was pretty impressed by the Jags offensive line this past week against L.A., I thought, uh, you know, Cam Robinson goes out, Walker Little comes in. I thought he held up really, really well. Uh, both of their tackles did, frankly, against um, Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack. Uh, but I, I, to me, actually, my concern more is on the interior versus Kansas City. Um, I, I do, like, okay, so I, I was questioning this before the Chargers game, and I want to get your thoughts on it. So the, the Jags are pretty... They don't really like you kind of know what they're going to do on offense, right? Like the balls go, they're trying to get their ball to their guys in space. Um, they run a lot of, you know, shallow crossing concepts. Um, it, my question for you is knowing that, and then occasionally they'll take shots to, you know, punish certain coverages. So, this the last time these teams played, Kansas City did play a lot of man coverage, and, and Trevor Lawrence punished them for a few, a few times throwing downfield. Uh, what do you think is the right approach, given that we kind of know what the Jags want to do on defense to stop them from turning those, you know, pretty, I'd say the average depth of target will not be that massive into bigger plays? I think looking back where they did against the Chargers, which was probably their pretty perfect game plan if, if Lawrence didn't turn the ball over as consistently yeah. as he did, which is exactly to your point, they run the same stuff over and over again, all of the mesh, all the shallow crosses you talked about. The Chiefs are one of the worst tackling in space teams in the league again, which goes, you know, is, is completely against the, the idea of them pressuring so much as you want to be a team who can tackle in space. I would put those guys in space and say, can they tackle our guys one-on-one? -on -one? They probably cannot. The Jags also are horrific tackling in space. And then what Peterson has done is he just runs the same formation over and over again, gathers as much intel as possible, figures out your defensive rules in the first couple of drives, and then says, I'm going to come back to the exact same shape at any point we cross the midfield, and I'm taking two shots. And if they hit, they hit, and if they don't, we'll just keep driving if mm. we can. And I think that's the, the right approach. I mean, they, they torched the Chargers with that. It was only a, a couple of shots that were needed, and that's where he's absolutely at his best is he doesn't go into the game, I don't believe, pre-prepared with, I'm getting to these three shots no matter what. He uses all those formations, and they don't run a, a whole lot of them, to figure out mid-game, well, what is their approach to everything they do is at this point is almost three-by-one nub the entire time. How are they going to handle that? And then I'll roll, run down my play chart when I get to the plus side of the field and pick out these two shots I know work against whatever they're running on defense. I think taking away the middle of the field is just paramount against this offense. Um, because they can still get you, I, I've, you know, in the second half against the Chargers game, Trevor made some really nice throws to the perimeter, right? And, and um, 
the Chargers defensive backs were very good in coverage, less good at tackling. And I think they were able to take advantage of that. Um, but I, I think you just have to live with him throwing outside more. Um, the other thing I think I, I suspect we'll see a change from Kansas City. So in the first game, Christian Kirk went off nine catches for 105 yards. Um, I think that I expect that Trent McDuffie, who's the rookie cornerback, will primarily play on, on him in the slot, which, you know, at this time that, that hadn't happened yet. In the last few games of the season, they were leaning towards using him this way. And I think he's pretty good, Holly. Um, he might be their best cover corner right now. Do you agree with that? I mean, he's definitely helpful. He's certainly the most aggressive and spiky. You know, he fights everyone all over the field. That's all you can really ask for. I think for a rookie is, will you just battle with someone and follow them all over the place? Not, not everyone's going to be Sauce Gardner and be a, a playmaker on the ball as well. I, I'm interested to see what they do if they move Evan Ingram around more, who is just yeah. a big power slot for them at this point. And I, I think they can do more with him. I, I don't know whether it's just that they've decided we like these 10 things we've run. Uh, Lawrence is really comfortable with them. He's really good at throwing the ball outside the numbers at this point. He's actually not as good throwing to the intermediate portion of the field as he is throwing outside the numbers. So I'm interested to see what they can do matchup-wise to move Engram around more to kind of leverage that threat to get easier throws elsewhere. Because at this point, everyone knows what they're running. They have pretty clear formation cues. They know they're going to see a ton of heat. And it just feels like the easiest thing to do would be to isolate Engram to the part of the field where... Lawrence likes to throw the most and just, you know, throw it five, six, seven times to, to that area of the field and just hope that you convert as many of them as possible. I, I'm not sure, like, how would you tackle Evan Inger? I, I actually think that's where it always has to start now because he really is their most dynamic athlete. And again, I can't stress enough, it took them a second to kind of really figure that out, I think, or figure out how best to use him. And, and you know, they really... He has a really simple route tree for this offense. It's just like get the ball into his hands. And then you see that the speed and physicality that made him such a high draft pick. If you're Kansas City, like how do you do Do you think that they have the personnel to stop him? I don't think so. I mean, I, I quite like Nick Bolton in coverage. I like Nick Bolton more than I think anyone that's not like Mrs. Bolton or something. I'm just a huge <laughs> Nick Bolton guy. He made some really great plays in, in week 10. <laughs> that just size advantage, that's just, it is what it is. You know, there's no covering when Evan Engram can reach his arms to a spot that Nick Bolton cannot. And I don't know if you'd want to do that anyway. You'd probably want yeah. to go with some kind of coverage concept or bracket, but it's just not really the way the Chiefs play. They're either in a shell or they're sending pressure. Um, and they're just kind of hoping that the quarterback will make a mistake, either get freaked out by the blitzes coming his way or just, you know, not being able to lay the throw in or something like that. So I, I don't, the, the Chiefs just aren't a team who are going to ditch whatever they consider their defensive identity to be to, to counter Evan Ingram. It's just not really the way they're built. I think pressure is where this all starts for the Chiefs, their best chance on that side of the football. Um, just because, you know, the, the Chiefs' pressure really improved as the season went on. And they closed really strong. It feels like an eternity ago. But week 18, like, that pass rush looked as good as it's looked all season. I think George Karloftis um, looked, you know, ha has been more impactful as the season goes on. Um, so to me, it, yeah, it really just comes down to you know, I, I do think Lawrence is going to throw the ball quickly. And by the way, batted passes will be there to be had as they were uh, last time. But to me, like it really comes down to like, can you hurry him enough to the point where the their playmakers can't punish you? I, 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 I don't know. I, I'll be. It's interesting. I, I, I sometimes I feel like this Jags offense has the potential to be 
one of the best in the NFL. And then sometimes I'm just like, ah, it's like a little dinky and dunky. Like, you know, will there be enough explosives to keep up with Kansas City? I, I'm having a hard time, though, figuring out in coverage wise how they can stop them. It's strange. I mean, they leave a lot on the field, the Jags. They drop the ball a ton. And then I yes. go through all the charting services and they're charted with no drops. And my, my brain gets confused because I just watch them drop like four or five passes mm. on any given drive. There are a ton of layups that Lawrence just refuses to take too. It's just like, nope, not doing that. Going to try and, and drive it further down the field. So it is just a team where given the athletes they have, and given the fact the Chiefs miss a ton of tackles, it would not be surprising to see two explosive plays on the first couple of drives, and all of a sudden you get that uh-oh feeling of what is happening to the Chiefs. Uh, that wouldn't floor me at all. I think pressure, like you said, is where the game will be won or lost in terms of that side of the ball, just because in the first matchup, they really put Travis Etienne in a blender. He had no idea what he was yeah. doing or where he was going. He's got much better as the season's gone along in pass protection, though he was he's still bordering on being a disaster in some parts they've almost just said you just get out of the backfield and we'll use you as a decoy and that will be how we, you help us in protection is the eyes fly to where you're going and that maybe buys us an extra second <laughs> rather than you standing in there so maybe that's the approach and yeah if, if it's an athlete in space offense versus a team sending heat i quite like the idea of just getting the ball as quickly to engram or etienne and hoping that people miss tackles i mean it's been working for them for much of the back half of the season so um yeah i i i think like, we know what the Jacks would do. I actually think what the Chiefs do offensively is always more of an open question because they do so many different things in so many different games. Um, Patrick Mahomes pretty much got whatever he wanted the last time these teams played. He also had a ton of time. I thought that, you know, the Jags pass rush, which is really, you know, come on again, like, you know, over the last few games of the season, they've had some really, really tremendous performances. Uh, this was not one of them. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I, I think... This was like the, just to remind people, this was like the, the Kadarius Tony had just been traded and he looked like the best wide receiver in the NFL in this game. Um, and it wasn't just like the kind of circus stuff. Like he was really like catching balls downfield, making like uh, circus catches, breaking tackles. I, I tweeted out the first touchdown, which is the one where Patrick Mahomes has like five seconds and works back to him and he kind of bunny hops his way down the sideline. Um, I think that... In this rematch, if I'm Kansas City, they only did it a few times the first game, but I really, like, they're so good at throwing out of those 13 personnel looks, and I wouldn't be surprised if, given the Jags' particularly weaknesses in coverage versus tight ends, if they lean in even more heavily to throwing to the tight ends. I think that's probably going to be their best bet. They want to get the Jags into man-to-man -man coverage if possible because they just don't have the personnel to match up with, particularly when it's in those bigger sets. The only time they really threw Mahomes off, and this has been Caldwell's thing all season, is getting into as many pressure looks late in the down as possible and then bailing out into... Mm -hmm. Typically Tampa too, and they actually did catch Mahomes with that a couple of times. It, it, he didn't make bad throws; he just missed the. He didn't make bad plays. Sorry, he just missed some throws that were, were there to be had. That is probably the Jags' only real chance. They just don't have the personnel to match up down in down out. They need to force two turnovers to just do weird shit. Probably is to use all yeah. these crazy athletes. Is hey, we've got guys who can do things at their position that no one else can do athletically and so let's just try stuff and and see what comes off that is that is their best bet there's just no way they're going to hold them under 20 points it's a two three turnover game can we get the a plus two turnover margin and so everything for me would be trying to, to bait or trap or run some kind of disguise some kind of pressure that gets you the the fumble recovery that to me is, is what they'd be looking for is just three or four payoff plays rather than trying to find a way to consistently slow them down because they just don't have 
the talent to be able to do that. Let me ask you a sort of simplistic question. You know, I think when we think of some of Mahomes' worst performances, and then especially in the playoffs, a lot of times it will be defenses that basically try to get the Chiefs to run the ball and force Mahomes to be patient, patient by playing coverage and then waiting for him to make a mistake. Do you think he he will do that, though, you know, based on what you've seen from him this season? No, I mean, he's just been scorching the earth all season. and He's really, really patient when he wants to be patient now. And he has these, he still has these these games where he'll be patient for three drives and you just see him get tetchy and decide I'm letting one fly. <laughs> and usually, you know, he's basically a demigod at this point. So he, it, it comes off him. But if not, then he just like sinks back into his shell and says, okay, fine, I'll be patient for a bit. Mm. Uh, what the only way teams really get him is almost by replicating what Spags is on the other side of the ball, which is just get to the same shell down in, down out, and change the methodology of how you get to the shell from a different grouping or different formation, and just change the angles of the throws so the guy's seeing the same thing at the top of the drop time and time again, but kind of the windows are different on him. That's where the Jags had, they had no success, frankly, but that was the only time they had any kind of success against him. And that, to me, outside of if you drop something you know, out of the sky like the Bengals did last season against him where they just hadn't seen that all season. That's the only time really where I think he gets a bit tetchy because I think he knows the top of the drop where the ball should go, what he wants to do, but he just doesn't quite know yet where the windows are going to be because people are get, getting to the same landmarks from different points of the field. Um, but at this point, there's just no answers to these guys. And the only thing you could do to combat them was to throw something out there. The drop eight stuff the Bengals did last year that they just mm -hmm. had not seen yet at the volume they'd seen out played as well as, as they'd seen it. And now they'll have all those answers, right? There's just that they are at this point now dictating all the terms. So you like you said, now they're just like we can enter 13 personnel and we can ram the ball down your throat and then we only need to take two play action shots and we have the best tight end and we have the best quarterback. It's really striking, like I was thinking about this watching the Bills. So obviously, we're going to talk about them later. But um, against the Dolphins, like, it doesn't feel like there's any other. I mean, the Niners do their own very specific thing. But outside of that, um, the Chiefs, I feel like right now, are just dictating to defenses with formations and personnel groupings in a way that no other, again, other than the Niners, other offenses just are not. Um, and that's why, like, to go back to what I said at the beginning, like, we know what the Jags are going to do on offense. The Chiefs could do a bunch of different things. And I think that's what's so challenging for Caldwell is like you don't really know what to game plan for. Um, and yeah, so it's tricky. I So if it's not obvious, I am leaning Kansas City in this one. I think, I guess to take the 30,000 foot view, I think the Jags' best chances um, to make it a, a high scoring game, which they're capable of against the Chiefs defense. Definitely. I mean, they're, they're second in the league right now in EPA per play on third and long. So that there's no like down there out of the game. Then just not one of those offenses where you, you know, you think, oh, they, they get behind, they can be in trouble. There's just not a down or distance where Lawrence and this group of receivers who've played way above, I think, what any kind of expectation could have been for them. Kirk has been unbelievable. The Joneses have played well outside of drops. As you said before, they're suddenly just getting open against one-on-one -on -one coverage, which was not happening early in the year, or it was a ton of high degree of difficulty throws. Now they're there's easy throws all over the field. And then they got this special talked up quarterback who can hit two wow throws a game to put you over the top. So I, there's just not any point in the game, I don't think, where they'd be out to be because they can create chaos on defense, which gets you turnovers. And they can they can hit chunks from third and long. So they definitely have, you know, if there's a puncher's chance, they are built to do that because they just have a collection of unusual athletes 
where I said this going to the playoffs, you could see them losing a game by 40 points and they could blow someone out by 40 points. They just have su such a great collection of, of athletes who can do unusual things. Giants-Eagles, the other rematch. Week 14 is when these teams played. Um, the Eagles kicked their butts. I mean, I just, just, just bludgeoned them uh, in many different kinds of ways. I guess I'll start by saying, like, everything that the Giants did, both offensively and defensively, against Minnesota, I don't think applies to this game, other than Daniel Jones running, which um, he really didn't do. So the let's start there, actually. So in Week 14, he he didn't run much. Uh, he only, he scrambled twice or no, he scrambled once. And the other one was a quarterback sneak. And then, no, no, he had two scrambles. The quarterback sneak scrambles didn't really go anywhere. And then he had one zone read for 17 yards that the Eagles simply could not have defended any worse. I just want to, um, and this is an Eagles defense that, uh, is 30th in EP per, EPA per play versus rushing quarterbacks. And again, because Jones didn't do it, he's not contributing to that. Uh, it's an Eagles defense that, of course, you know, we've talked about a lot, has struggled to stop the run all year. So I guess that's, you know, that the Giants came out throwing against Minnesota correctly. I do think that there's an advantage on the ground for them. Uh, absolutely. And that's the thing about Dable is he will just shapeshift into whatever he yeah. thinks is the one thing each week. He is purely Belichickian, but on the offensive side of the ball, whatever he decides is the thing that week, they will just run it into the ground. And if they think that it is getting into two-back football with Daniel Jones as the third back and playing pure option football, I imagine that's going to be the path they try to take because nothing else worked in the first matchup. Like you said, there's nothing else you could just lay over on paper and say, we are better than the Eagles at this on defense, other than the fact if we get an extra hat into the box in the run game, they have proven they cannot stop it. So yeah. I just think that has to be the way they approach it. Um, so the Vikings could not have played New York in a dumber way. I'm sorry. Vikings should have been fireable. Absolutely fireable. Just the worst game plan of the season. I actually think, it, let's see, I saw Ed Donatel trending, but that could just be Vikings fans <laughs> trying to manifest. I keep, oh no, Kevin O'Connell declines to say if Ed Donatel will return as the, okay. So, um, but I, but when I was tweeting about this, like, you know, just the soft zone and letting the Giants just, run these like wide open crossers underneath eagles fans were actually really nervous because they were like wait this sounds like jonathan gannon i'm very nervous about this now I, I, okay so that's what i want to talk to you about because i think it should be stated first yes the eagles do play a lot of soft zone coverage but there are some pretty key distinctions between them and the Vikings, which is they can tackle. <laughs> so that helps. Um, and then the other thing is I think you know, they have a very, very good pass rush. Um, Minnesota's pass rush is really hit or miss for me this year. So it works better, I think, um, than Minnesota's would. I guess let me ask you this, though. If you were the Eagles' defense, would you change things up? Would you consider playing man coverage um, given you know who these like the Giants receivers I've talked about this a fair amount like I I actually think they're like the perfect receivers for the Giants offense because they're just good at getting open in the voids in zone coverage and they face a lot of zone coverage because teams don't want to play man against Daniel Jones so I I just wonder if you're the Eagles defense like what is the approach you take knowing the tendencies of New York I still play I play man um, or I play some kind of okay. yeah some kind of quarters match Either anything my, my two things would be can I take away can I get an extra hat into the box to, to try and take away the run? And so I want to get someone extra in there. Yeah. And what? how am I going to slow down the RPO pop, which is going to 
come inevitably, which is them throwing glances behind the ear hole of one of my linebackers or throwing the bubble to the perimeter, which is their go-to. Those are the two things I want to stop. And so I want to get as much, you know, body presence to the line of scrimmage as, as is physically possible. And then I'll, I'll take take the risks with them smoking me down the down the field, which I just don't think will happen because they have the personnel to stop them. It's, it's probably the best secondary in the NFL or yeah. at least, you know, right around there. So... Uh, yeah, I would certainly play as much press man early as possible just to see what, what New York is coming out with. I, I, I tend to agree. I think obviously you have to, you know, um, figure out who's got Daniel Jones as your assignment. But beyond that, I just I, like I like these Giants receivers, but I don't think that they can win against these Eagles DBs, like you said. Um, and I think. And, and it's not like yeah. you're, you know, you're not playing a, a team where you've they have such an overwhelming pass rush and the Giants have got yes. the worst first down pressure rate allowed in the NFL yeah. outside of the Dolphins. And the Dolphins number is funky because they run those kamikaze RPOs where they're just kind of allowing someone to run at their quarterback freely, which is strange. And the Dolphins are doing it intentionally to throw the ball down the field, whereas Jones's A dot on first down is like five yards. So they, it is panicky. Let's get rid of the ball as quickly as possible stuff. Um, you know, if you're just playing four down and go, you got an extra guy in coverage anyway, I, I would feel pretty comfortable with that game plan. And if you get burnt twice, then you can always change up and just drop into zone and hope that the four guys can go and win and take over the game from then on. But that would be, I think, the, the correct opening game plan. Yeah, he completed three passes over 10 yards last time these teams played. His average depth of target was 5.9 air yards per attempt. Um and yeah, I, they had some success playing quarters against them. I noticed that. Like they, I, I just think um, you have to trust the fact that you have mostly better players on that side of the ball, you know. And um, and I think you, I will say, I do think they're going to do need to come with a better game plan against Jones as a runner. I don't know why he didn't run more in this game. Frankly, it was week fourteen. Um, do you feel? <laughs> I said this to Dominique. Do you feel like defenses just still don't prepare for him as a runner half the time? I don't know why. I It's really peculiar. Yeah, I mean, it was funny in that Vikings game when he got tired, when they ran him one too many times and he just gave up and was like, I'm exhausted. So maybe there's, there's something that I don't know. One thing they've done so well in the run game, the Giants, is the way they leverage Saquon. And there's just no one yeah. right now like Dayball and Kafka outside of Reed who manipulate defenses in space the way these two guys do with Saquon which is we are going to create so much grass to one side of the field and either he's running into it because he's the best athlete on the field or we're going to use him to get you to vacate the grass so that Daniel Jones goes rolling down the sideline at 17 yards a clip so I I think maybe there's a thing there where teams don't think he is the reason and it's the space that's the reason you know he's just a straight line burner he's not like a, a wiggly in space guy who makes people miss he's not Jalen Hurts he doesn't make your linebacker look silly he just if he sees grass he is running to it mm. and he can outpace people so maybe they just believe that you know it's something that you can correct schematically as opposed to being fearful of him taking off around you so if they just think they've got better players you know and I don't know what the Vikings were playing at but you know if you're the the, the Eagles and you've got TJ Edwards you're like well it doesn't matter how quick Daniel Jones is TJ Edwards is just as fast as him the um speaking of Saquon and how they use him um I I wish I grabbed this it felt like last week the Giants used more 21 personnel than I think I've seen them use all season with uh Breda Breda was yeah the other back on the field um I kind of think that's going to continue in this game so that's not I mean the thing about the Eagles is like 
they're going to go after their linebackers. And I actually think their linebackers have gotten a lot better in coverage this year, but it's so clearly the point on this defense that you want to attack. And I think, um, yeah, I, like I, I just feel like I, it's pretty, I, I would be very surprised if we see anything super different in terms of aggression throwing downfield in this game on that side of the football, especially because everything that they've done so far, it, you know, really mitigates Daniel Jones's the big problem he had in the first few years in the NFL, which is the turnovers. Yeah, I, I don't think throwing down the field would even really be necessary for him. It's not a game where I'm yeah. looking and saying, well, if Jones completes two big time throws, they win the game. It, it is way more to me of if he doesn't turn the ball over, maybe they have a chance. Um, and with Saquon, the best things they've done with him in the passing game is, you know, as I said before, you formationally creating a giant acre of grass to one side of the field, doing the same stuff we mentioned with the Jags, where it's three by one nub, you close one side of the formation, you put all the athletes to one side of the formation. They kind of get the flow of the action of those guys cutting across the formation to leave the space back to where those guys started and they they cross Saquon across the formation. And then they say, either you're leaving space for him to run into or it's one-on-one, Saquon versus your corner in space. And we, mm. we fancy Saquon with that. The other thing they did in the in the first game that I just thought was peculiar where I'm with you, I would, I would way rather they went with the two-back stuff is they used a lot of receivers going insert blocks over and over again. It's like yeah. Dayball does this thing where once a week, he's like, this is my play and I'm going to run it 10 times and I, I believe it will work. And this was one where they were just banging their head against the wall and it had absolutely no shot. So I, if I'm them, I, I either go with the two backs of you mentioned or I just spread it all the way out, you know, get reveal as much of the defense as possible pre-snap for Daniel Jones. And they, they've been pretty good and empty this year too. And mm-hmm. just try and let him dink and dunk his way down the field. So on the other side of the ball, uh, Jalen Hurts uh, had a really, really clean game. Um, 21 for 31 for 217 yards. He had some pretty big runs. He, I, I posted about this. When the the Giants, and this is kind of why I said earlier, I don't think the Minnesota uh, approach is going to happen again. Because in, in the Minnesota game, Wheat Martindale really cut off his blitzes, cut down his blitzes and played a lot more split safety and just let Kirk and Kirk dink and dunk his way down the field, uh, which I think was absolutely the right approach to play Minnesota. Uh, so I don't think that's going to happen in this game. Um, but starting with the blitzing, he blitzed Jalen Hurts at a pretty high rate and actually had some success doing so. I think they're going to take the similar a similar approach because I think that they know unless they get pressure, and Jalen has been up and down versus the blitz you know, this year, even with all of his improvements, um, the Eagle skill players are just too good. Even with these, the Giants secondary being healthier, and they're certainly healthier than they were, by the way, the last time these teams played, you still, like Jalen Hurts, you have to put him on his back in this game. Yeah, you you need to create two, three turnovers probably because you just don't have the horses, I don't think, to keep up if it gets into a shootout. The thing for me with, with Wink in that first game, and like you said, it wasn't just the Vikings game. I mean, he's cut down the blitz rate dramatically for the last mm-hmm. like month, basically. I mean, he just so happens to have got to a point in the year where Kayvon Thibodeau started playing out of his mind. Dexter Lawrence is the best interior player in the league. And then Leonard Williams has been unbelievable too. And so he just says, well, these four guys are playing great. Why do I need to put the extra plugger in there? I'll just get an extra guy in coverage and it'll make life easier. 
So I think maybe it won't be up in the 40%, which he's done at times this season. I think against Jalen, I can't remember off the top of my head, was it in the 30s or, or close it to was the 40s higher. again? It was high, yeah. It was really high. And the, the best success they had has is, is often been the way with Jalen Hurts is it's more the path than just the rate where when they brought perimeter pressure, you know, Hurts likes when it's an interior pressure so he yeah. can roll away from it. And his choice is either I'm taking it off my legs or I can throw it down the field. Ideally they to his right side. Absolutely, yeah. When 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 they brought it from the edges and they would bring two guys from both sides and force them to climb through, they would just leave someone in the middle of the field to, to basically play cleanup. Um, and then his eyes are going both ways. And like you said, if he slices the field in half himself and he's rolling to his right, he's just as lethal doing that as he is standing it in delivering from the pocket anyway. So I'm I'm more interested in 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 the pressure path and the approach with that. And it, it's similar with Daniel Jones too. You know, he he likes to beat the blitz with his legs. And so it's not so much about, are they blitzing 25% of the time? Are they blitzing 35% of the time? That That's less consequential to me than what is the path they're building and how are they layering the blitz path, which to me, with Daniel Jones and with Jalen Hurts too, because these guys want to beat the blitz with their legs as much as with their arms, I think you've got to send the early guy first and then you got to have a second guy coming from depth to go play cleanup. And that was the most frustrating thing with Ed Donatell in that game against Daniel Jones last week, which was, if they were blitzing, he was sending the house. And if they weren't blitzing, which he doesn't do, he would have everyone in coverage. I think you've got to take the approach that Wink Martindale took against um, Patrick Mahomes last season when he was in Baltimore, which was he would send one guy really early, make it look like it was a five-man rush, mm. and he'd have a second guy, usually a safety, walking down slowly, then flying in from depth. And it was kind of this elongated flush concept you see these teams run, particularly in college, where they are trying to push the, the passer to leave the pocket to a particular spot where they know they have a free guy to come and play cleanup. And if I'm if I'm the wink in this game, my thing is I want to push Jalen Hurst to a specific spot where I know I've got a guy coming clean and free. And then my hope is that they can just knock the ball out. Hurts will probably throw it past him. He might make him miss in space, but we do not have the talent to just say, let's play one-on-one, -on -one, split safeties, no split safeties, whatever, against Smith and Brown and Goddard and all, all the pieces they have. And then you got you to gotta mostly play zone behind it. Um, the teams that have had success splitting Hurts, it's mostly been zone blitzes. For, you know, again, just partially because he can't, you don't want him to use his legs to get out of trouble and then just have so much grass ahead of him. But um, also, you know, like he just, I mean, AJ Brown and Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard are just so unfair when you think about it. It's impossible. That there's literally no structural way to stop them. The only yeah. the only structural schematic solution is two man. And then you leave a giant void in the middle of the field for him yeah. to go run into. Or you just get cooked by A.J. Brown anyway. And he, Hertz has been the most precise deep ball throw in the league this year. I just still do not believe he is given anywhere near the credit for how high he has elevated his game. I think people still think, well, the offense is great. The offensive line is great. There's all these cheat codes, Shanna and style. And all that stuff is true to like a baseline. But the ceiling part is him throwing the ball down the field to spots that very, very few guys in the league are doing at such a consistent level with that kind of precision. I mean, and then just to take like the deep, the, the like long view of that, I mean, it's just what it creates. The, the fact that he's added that to his bag this year, it creates... There's no right answers against this offense from a coverage standpoint because if you play single high, they'll punish. He'll punish you throwing outside. Those guys are just so good at winning on the perimeter. Um, if you play too high, though, Miles Sanders will gash you. For he, by the way, killed New York in this game. Um, if you blitz, like they're just 
There's just so many problems. Dallas Goddard, by the way, did play the last time these teams played, and this Giants defense cannot cover tight ends. Uh, so that if I was a betting person, I would put all my money on Dallas Goddard in this game. I mean, you saw DJ Hawkinson um, went off the last time these teams played. But it, again, it just starts with that pressure, especially because you know Dexter Lawrence basically was unblockable against Minnesota, which is you know the interior of their offensive line is not good. Well, folks, the Eagles have the best interior offensive line in football. Like it's not, um, it's it. This is a, it's a bad opponent for New York because I really think like with the Giants' defense, the most important thing is whether or not Lawrence can get interior pressure, and that's such a challenge against this Eagles line. It is the the thing where I would hold out some hope is that you really don't need it to be a sustained thing. I don't think you just have to say, yeah. can our super duper stars? We need Cave on to play like a superstar. Lawrence is a superstar. They just have to have five reps. It doesn't need to be 60 reps. It's just five, and it ends up being three disaster plays for Jalen Hurts. Mm-hmm. That That is the home. You cannot possibly go into this game thinking, well, we'll just we'll just hold them up. We'll just play our base defense, and we'll be able to hold them. They're way too smart to think that's possible with those linebackers on the field. It's just not going to happen. the linebackers, yeah, because the secondary is so much better. Like I thought I mean, McKinney being back is enormous obviously Dora Jackson being back is huge they will have an easier time this time around but the linebackers oh god that is a huge problem for this Giants defense it's particularly Uh, tough for them because I mean the Eagles have certain plays that by design are unstoppable particularly in short down distances they obviously have the, the rugby scrum which is hilarious um I really want them to outlaw that because I'm terrified Jalen Hurts is going to get hurt on that thing. <laughs> they do it too much. I, so Kalen Collar, guys, has an excellent story. You guys should read about how often the Eagles run the, the two-cheek push <laughs> um, and how other teams hate it uh, because it's unfair, <laughs> essentially. But, man, he takes a lot of contact. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so then they've got that slide RPO I've written about a ton, which is just physically cannot be defended. And Hurts has reached a place now similar to Lamar, where because of the threat of the legs, every single drop back serves as play action. And if you're playing bad linebackers, Mm. you are in a giant problem because they are in conflict on every single rep and they're terrified of him taking off. They're terrified of getting screamed out of the sideline because they lost the guy in man coverage again. It's it's impossible. And for him to elevate his game as a pass the way he has done, that's just, as you said before, there are there are no right answers to this thing. And the only only plausible path would be as many wonky designs as, as Wink Martindale can come up with and hoping one of those gets home or, or as you said, it's a zone pressure. So Jalen Hurts throws the ball to a guy he, he doesn't know is looking at him. And then you get the one great play from Lawrence that causes a disaster and, and the one great play from, from Kayvon. I hope it's close, but I'm definitely leaning Philadelphia on this one. If it's not, I, I do think though, I, I think the the Giants is a fraud team was a fair assessment because their regular season schedule and some of those wins yes. are, are pretty wonky. But now I think they are just legitimately good. A thousand think- percent agree. It's because the defense is like actually good. Like yes. I actually think because the pass rush is coming along so much and and, and and there are players on that defense that have gotten better as the year has gone on, they're not bad. No, not at all. I think that the shame of it is the mismatch with the Giants' offensive line is just not going to stand yeah. a chance. And if if they're playing four down and go and Evan Neal is in trouble, who just had an awful game last week and has, has really struggled, if the, if the Eagles are able to get an extra guy in coverage, then that's probably going to be the game. All right, let's take a quick break and come back and talk about the other two games. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H E L P dot com slash Mina Show, M I N A S H O W. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Bengals Bills is sort of a rematch. It was the game that was canceled. Um, they played like two drives, right, in that game. It was the second. It was was it the yeah? It was I think the Bengals' second drive where Demar Hamlin got hurt. Um, these are, however, like I went back, Ollie, and I was looking at my notes ahead of that last game, and after what, like I feel like that we just have to start with what I think is the most pressing question, which is how bad is the Bengals offensive line situation uh, for their off? Like, can they gin up offense against this Bills team with three starters now gone? So it's, you know, Jonah Williams and Alex Kappa are week to week, but it sounds like they will not play in this game. I don't know exactly what the composition of the offensive line will be. Uh, Jackson Carmen is a disaster at left tackle. So we'll see. Maybe there's another approach, but it's just completely i mean it it it's 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 really 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 going to be tough going for them because of it it is brutal i mean if if they were healthy i think they'd be the favorites in the afc yes and those guys who they're replacing, you know, Collins, Williams, Cabell, when they were together, they were not good. It was not like they were great. It, they were just able to do a lot more. The one thing they stopped doing was allowing free runners, which was the huge problem last year. They just had so many free runners. And even Jonah Williams, they, they would get beat for talent this season, right? They would just get, you know, beat clean off the line. They'd have bad reps. There was nowhere near as many free runners as in the past. And they were able to completely transform their run game in the middle of the season from the most pedestrian predictable run game in the league to a really creative cool diverse system where they had all these great play action shots off it too and i just don't think they're gonna have any chance at running any of that stuff with those guys pulled out the lineup particularly kappa and it just completely transforms the make of the offense makes them really predictable there is just no way joe burrow will concede to turning his back to this defense with those guys out and it's just a real shame because they were clicking so well they were running the ball so well the play action off it was so good burrow was just in his bag against any kind of defense you threw at him he was thinking three and four steps ahead of everyone 
And they, they, I think they would they would have just run through the AFC if those guys were healthy. And again, they were not good. Collins was a disaster. But it, the, the drop-off still from below-average talent that was playing well as a cohesive unit to having Max Sharping at right guard, who may as well not be on the field half the time, it's, 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 the, the drop-off is just unimaginable. I mean, the thing I will say is Burrow is better equipped now than he was last season because he's gotten so much better at um, managing pressure than he was at times last year and avoiding sacks. But that, I mean, he just isn't going to, I mean, that his time to throw is going to be so, so low. And it just makes life so much easier for this Bills defense. Like, I was thinking, watching the Ravens who played the Bills, who played the Bengals so well, I, I was thinking during the regular season and then ahead of their playoff game, like, okay, who, what are other defenses? Like, can they approximate any of this? Like, do the Bills have the personnel to simulate pressure the way the Ravens do, use some of their... Um, some of the disguise on the outside in particular. Now I'm just kind of like, does it matter? I mean, you don't have to blitz them. You shouldn't. Like, if you're the Bills' defense, are you concerned at, like, what, what, I guess, let me ask you this. Like, given what we know now with the Bengals' limitations because their offensive line, you just kind of do what you do, right? Like, I don't feel like you have yeah. to get that fancy. And, and I think they would do anyway. I don't think that yeah. the kind of staff who would watch what Mike McDonald did and go, cool, let's try running some of that really fun oh, stuff. Oh, they did. Actually, did you notice in the Bills-Dolphins game, they did actually play some more games with their linebackers than usual, which made me think like, oh, maybe they're getting ready for the Bengals. I don't know. The, what's interesting with the Bills' pass rush, I mean, the pass rush was bad against the Dolphins, is since Vaughn has gone out the lineup, when they rush four, their pressure rate has just completely plummeted. Yeah. They were fourth in the NFL when Vaughn was in the lineup, the 27th since he left. And that would have been the game plan for the Bengals, is you say, okay, you now have to send a fifth guy, and if you send five against Joe Burrow, he is basically the, the best quarterback to have ever walked the earth. That, that is what the numbers tell you, is there's just no one like him yeah. when you send a fifth rusher. Now, with this disaster in front of him, they will feel really comfortable sending the for and it just is going to constipate everything and that's that's the concern it's, it's just a shame because i still think he's going to have a chance because he's just that special and they've got the players at the skill positions where they could just hit five explosives and that might be enough to, to carry them over the line and then of course they got my guy luana rumor on the other side of the ball who will, who we'll will get maybe to that. figure some stuff out against josh yeah. but I, if they were healthy I think that they they could have just driven up and down the field, frankly. Yeah. It, well, and the other thing about, again, the, the, it's going to be very a quick release and in a pretty low average depth of target is the Bills can actually tackle, <laughs> unlike some many defenses in the NFL right now. Um, so I think they're particularly like well-situated to play this iteration of the Bengals because, you know, if it was a team like Minnesota – Sorry, dude. I'm Minnesota fans. I'm sorry. I feel like we're just crapping on you. It just I think they get it. They they get it. That's why it's they're trendy. mad. <laughs> um, it's all about the defense. But anyways, if they were playing them, you know, I'd say okay, maybe like Jamar Chase will you know break one off. But I actually think the Bills uh, are pretty well. They they do they do a pretty good job generally. And you know, they seem to have figured out that Kyrie Lim is their second best cornerback, which is helpful. Um, who I thought was a really, really good. You know, he came in against Miami, that he was very good. I imagine he'll have T. Higgins in this game for the most part. He's got the the length too. But um, yeah, I just, um, you know, the, it's funny. The Bills, like, they kind of like, they were, I think it's because we thought they were going to be a great defense and they turned out to be just a good defense. They felt overwhelming and then all of the injuries. But I think this, they're the right defense 
for this particular matchup. Now, the other side is where things get interesting. And the other side is why I think the Bengals still have a chance. Because Josh Allen, (laughs) uh, my friend Nate Tice calls him Professor Chaos. He has leaned so far into the chaos lately that I don't feel comfortable with him. <laughs> like, it it is don't. as though it's like he's got some intel we don't have that he's got six throws left in his arm before it falls off. So he's like, well, I guess I'm going to have to throw the ball 80 yards down did the field not, on every snap. Dude, did, did you not feel like watching him that he thought he was Skylar Thompson? Like it was like, <laughs> he was like, we're 14 point underdogs. It's like, no, no you're, you're, you're the favorites. You don't have to do this. Don't do it. And I, you I, know, Luana Rumo is going to find ways to bait him into doing it. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, this is my thing with Lou is, is he going to channel that Josh Boyer energy who he said in one of the most chaotic, I assume I'm getting fired game plans any coach has ever delivered to a national audience, an all-out pressure on third of 15 to get cooked down the field. Just a wild day from Josh Boyer. But to, to send that much pressure, which was, I know you want to play hero ball. And so if I send the house... I know you're going to move around and try and throw the ball down the field, or we're going to force you to bring extra guys into protection, which really limits where you can go with the ball. And it's not really been Anarumo's style this year to send any kind of heat. If anything, they line up with a ton of guys across the line of scrimmage more than they did do yeah. last season, and then he's just bailing out completely. So, But that is still in there, in the tendency chart of they at least crowd the line. And I do wonder how much he looked at that last week and decided that I'm going to you know, put it all on black or whatever. I'm going to try and bait him into the same things the Dolphins did, which is, sure, go ahead and try and escape seven rushes and throw the ball 60 yards down the field and ignore the wide open guy in the middle of the field. Let me ask you something else. Okay, so I was, after the game, I, I really enjoy when fan bases hate their offensive coordinators, but the like no, people outside of the fan base don't hate them. I feel like Bills fans are there with Ken Dorsey. Yeah. You know, oh, have you this is that? this is it with this one of my my recurring things is every fan base thinks their OC is an idiot and every other OC that they're going to go hire is a genius. That that's yes. just a consistent theme across the NFL. Uh, the one thing I will say with Dorsey is the only real in rhythm great drive they've had all season was the opening drive of the season against the Rams. And they have a really fractured style. The spacing of them vertically, I don't want to get too dorky, is really off. And I don't know how much of that is. Well, I have this alien, and Mm. it is more valuable to try and score on every single play than to have pretty route concepts, you know, perfectly cover the grass, and we're going to move the ball 15 yards at a time. Maybe it is right to say, I have a guy who can, you know, take the top off the defense in one throw, and let's lean into that. But there is something quite funky about the style of offense and then the receiver talent isn't very it's, good they can't run the ball very well so there's just it's, issues all around i think like coming into this season i kind of thought oh this is a team that did some more stuff with their tight ends and they had a fullback on the field at the end of last year they're going to come out and they want to be more multiple and it turns out they don't have good players outside of stefan Diggs. i mean not good great players Uh, Which is, by the way, a shame because the Bengals are 31st in DVOA against number two wide receivers. Shout out Eli Apple. Uh, So this could be, although actually who is on there now after Awuzie got hurt, I'd have to look back and see who's playing most of their number two wide receivers. I don't want to be, I don't want to join the long line of people slandering Eli Apple unfairly. 
Um, however, like this should be like there are opportunities for Gabe Davis. There should be opportunities for Dawson Knox over the middle of the field against this defense, but they're just not reliable week to week. Um, they did seem to land on like Shakir as the main slot guy in the last game, which I think is smart and probably took too long to figure out. But I think that's just so what's so, um, and I'm sure this is what's, this has made Ken Dorsey's life a lot more difficult outside of digs. Like we talk about Josh Allen being chaotic, but the Bills' skill players are just so hit or miss. And that has to be why they've lent into this just bombs away. Yeah. Let's try and take the top off everything. I mean, they run, you know, with, they have on almost every single concept, it feels like there are just three deep threats and then nothing else. And then maybe once in a while, they'll 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 tag something into the middle portion of the field, but Allen just ignores it. And he, so then oh as my a, God, he, in as his a last coach, game, it was horrible. And then as Dorsey, what what is the? Are you just going to bang your head against the wall and keep putting those things in there, or say, well, he wants an extra thing down the field. He's looking there, so it is this kind of push and pull between coach and quarterback. And are they collaborators? These two, I'm not sure. I you know, I'm not in the building. Or is it that well, this guy is the guy who puts the cape on. You know, he's maybe the most physically gifted player in the league, and I will lean into what he wants to do and his strengths. But it does feel like it's tipped over an edge now because he has become so scattershot, so risky. And it has become, you know, a cliche to say with him, will he take some of the layups? But these are not layups that we're asking him to say, will you throw the ball, you know, seven yards or and into the flats and hope someone misses. It's just hitting the open crosser 12 yards down the field where there's tons of grass in front of that guy who can go yeah. and take off himself. But then he throws the ball to Gabe Davis along the sideline. He hits Shakir on the throw of the weekend. And it's like, well, they put up 34 points and all is right with the world. One of the the incompletions downfield it was like i can't remember who was two they ran mesh underneath and like both guys were open i feel like that was in this game right um or the dolphins game he had singletary a few times and just he might as well be a ghost to him just zero interest in checking down um would you, know, you would you yeah. pressure alan has the Dolphins yes. games changed your mind in saying, I am going to send six, seven, eight times. I will send so, the full house at him. The thing I, okay. So the Dolphins approach was insane. However, I do think that the fact that they, he did it so much in the beginning and then Josh Boyer being he, and then scaled it back, completely messed with Allen, who this year has been pretty hit or miss against the Blitz. I thought the Dolphins also played the run well with the Blitz. You talked about like, um, blitzing it away to prevent Jalen Hurts from escaping. I think that similar with Allen, you want to blitz him and then have someone cleaning up behind them. But I do think like there, I think like Luana Rumo will pick his spots. Let me put it that way. I, I you know, it's insane to do it the way that Boyer did, but I, I, there, I, defenses this year have had much more success against Allen than the previous years. The, the problem you have when you blitz, Allen is that it's not like facing Cousins or Prescott or Brady right. where it's just a really efficient completion and you feel like a fool because they completed every single pass. It is a 40-yard shot behind right. your head and the, the owner calling his lawyer to find out how easy it is to get out of your contract. That that would be the concern is that you dial up three early on and then you know yeah. scrambling around because it was such a problem. But the, the thing that Anaruma has that has elevated him into this this level of being one of the top coordinators in the league is how just good they've been at self-scouting, at tendency-breaking, 
all season long, whether it's through the personnel on the field, the, the personnel package, the specific formations and alignments. They are every week adding either a new wrinkle or figuring out that we have a pretty clear tendency on this thing, and so let's adapt it the next week. They've done that with using Trey Flowers as the tight end stopper. They've done that with uh, some of their overloaded pressure fronts. So it would be quite a good breaker for him to say they are going to expect us to drop. So why don't we, like you're saying with Boyer, send the heat early on, plant it in their head, yeah. force them to keep extra guys in, and then we'll back out into what we traditionally do, which is where we're one of the best teams in the league, is when we drop into coverage, we're just so intelligent and so smart at picking everything up. I think also I think if he I think if he goes drop eight in this game, it'll scramble Josh Allen's brains too. I think oh, he'll yeah. he'll throw some some really bad interceptions if he does that. Um, I still lean, I, I, I lean Buffalo just because the, the offensive line, everything we talked about, but I do think that the Bengals defense has the opportunity to keep this one closer than it should be otherwise. And we'll see. I don't know. It's still a good game. It's just ugh, such a bummer. Um, okay, Cowboys Niners. I am so glad that the Niners are not playing the Bucks. <laughs> so I'll start there. It would have been disgusting. Um, this, however... You know, I'm talking myself into it being a better game. I think, I mean, obviously we're coming off of this like deck masterpiece and that helps. Um, but let's start on the other side of the ball. Uh, so the Niners offense is it's funny because the Seahawks probably played them as worse as any defense can. <laughs> in this, and they just got lucky in the beginning of the game. The first half, Birdie was just so bad. It like didn't matter, right? Even though guys were wide open and then the second half, he... he cleaned things up and also made a few nice plays outside of structure. So the Cowboys defense is obviously very, very different from Seattle, starting with the fact that they have one of the two to three best pass rushers on earth. Um, I thought they had a really great game plan against Tampa, but the Tampa offense is very bad. How would you, if you're Dallas, a defense that's proven to be like pretty mutable, Ollie, and, and which is I think one of the cool things about Dan Quinn in this iteration of his career, how would you approach the Niners offense? Like, would you change things up? Would you play more would you go back to playing a lot of cover one like what would be your general approach i i think it is an impossible question <laughs> i almost feel sorry i mean if anyone has the answer it'll be dan quinn you know i will say that but i know i don't have the answer I, you have no idea when they exit the huddle what on earth it's going to be if it's that the, the quintet package of all those guys what what do you even call that in terms of personnel? What are our checks? What is the formation? Does that even matter? Is McCaffrey a back? Is he the best slot receiver? If we leave Ayuk one-on-one, -on -one, he will just maul us. I, I, there just is not an answer. The, the answer is that you hope that the young quarterback is not as accurate as he has been. And so the only real thing I can think of is to put as much depth in the defense as possible, put as many layers in the defense as possible, pack the pack things towards more of the sidelines, hope that he can drive the ball to the middle of the field, hope he can get tip balls, hope that he, you know, takes an extra beat, waits an extra second, and the pass rush comes home. I, I just don't think there's anything you can do schematically that will in any way take them away. I mean, I, I saw you guys on, on NFL Live do the breakdown of what they do in terms of formation and personnel. I mean, there just, there are no answers that they've built, a, they've built a, a monster. The real answer is pressure. Like, we did that, so... um on NFL Live, we talked about, you know, like, how do you stop the 49ers 21 personnel, which is not because Christian McCaffrey is one of the best slot receivers in the NFL. It's not like normal 21. Per like, it, it's just impossible. And I mentioned in that clip that the Saints played them well. And, I, you know, the Saints, I, I did mention, had some success in man coverage. But, you know, when Christian McCaffrey is lined out wide, you'll get killed, right? Like, there's no 
good answer. The, the reason they had success really is because they got pressure. And I think that's, I mean, which isn't, I, how, how you approach that, I think, Ollie, like there's no, like it really depends on who your personnel is. Like, do you have linebackers you cover? Do you have, you know what I mean? Like you have guys like cornerbacks who can tackle, that kind of thing. It just starts with pressure. Uh, the Saints had a lot of success getting pressure in that game. Miami had some success playing them in part because of their ability to get pressure. And I think with Dallas, like in the clip, I don't know if you, I don't remember who said it, but somebody was like, would you have Micah play linebacker? I was like, no. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. You want that dude pinning his ears back on every single down. That is your I- best chance of stopping this team. It would, I think it would be really overthinking things to think we can do something really cool with disguising coverage to confuse the young no. quarterback and to try and, you know, put try and put something over the top of Kittle, force him to... I, it, it's just nonsensical. You don't have as good plays as they have. No one does. It's, that's just a, a, a fact. As you said, when they get in that personnel grouping, is it 12? Is it 21? What, is it 11? You know, the, the, all, their skill, the, all their skills and talents cross over to all the positions, basically. Ayuk can play in the slot, and he can be an unbelievable slot receiver too. So there is just no answer. The best answer, as you said, is these are our two best players. Let's put them on the line of scrimmage, and let's hope they get home before he gets the ball out. That That is the best possible answer. And the thing Purdy has done, which has been the one thing to his demerit, is this great instinct he has for when to get off schedule, which is kind of... Uh, amplified elements of the Shanahan offense, right? Things that became yeah. a bit plodding with Garoppolo. He can just make these second reaction plays that Garoppolo, frankly, never could. The the hope would be that you can just get Parsons and, and Lawrence home. Then he has moved himself into pressure consistently, is that he will just turn his back and spin around and go Fran Tarkenton and go Johnny Manziel and go Baker Mayfield and stand behind Trent Williams for no reason as he's dropping back and that's what you have to hope happens is that he just gets this paranoia in his head that the two best players on the field are Lawrence and Parsons and that they feel like they're everywhere yeah and he, he he'll do that <laughs> I mean he's he's got a lot of chip dip on his chip um I think for the Cowboys you're the thing that gives you some optimism is that he just pretty hasn't played a, a, an edge rusher like Parsons. Like I was just kind of looking back over when I was looking for the teams who had played them well in 21, like they're, they're, this is new for him. So I think there's, there's opportunity to rattle him there. Um, the Niners schedule in general. I mean, you go to the Niners yeah, schedule at the end of the season. Yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty weak outside of the Chiefs. I, I think they've only played, only the Seahawks ended with a, a positive point differential. The Dolphins kind of throw that off because of the, the injuries, of course. But yeah. it's not like they've, you know, they're obviously a great team. They're probably the most complete team in the league right now with a quarterback they found from nowhere playing unbelievably yeah. well. Uh, but it's not like they, they've just run through this this gauntlet of, of great teams. They, and as you said, they've definitely not seen a pass rusher like this, and they've not seen a, a tandem of guys like that either. Yeah, the, the, right. It's the whole Dallas pass rush. You know, it's not just Michael Parsons. But um, yeah, I, I think that'll present some some unique challenges for him. Um so, you know, and then the Niners, I mean, I'm sorry, the Dallas defense, like, I was pretty encouraged by the adjustments that Quinn made. Again, like, it's different, obviously, in Tampa's offense is putrid. But um, I talked about this on the show, like, you know, him moving Bland outside and then playing with more of the safeties, particular curse as the big nickel, I thought was pretty astute. And I think probably the right approach for San Francisco as well. Those are the best players they have in the secondary. Um you know, Dallas, though, generally has been pretty good at playing 
like a lot of the things the Niners do well. They're fourth in DVOA against tight ends. They're 10th against play action. They're fourth on passes to running backs. I, all of this comes with the major caveat that the Niners are very, very unique and like it doesn't quite apply. But um, I do. the one concern I have, though, is like schematically the Cowboys, and I think getting Leighton Van Der Esch really helps back really helps yeah, in this regard they, they are such a different defense than so the much better which is a sentence i really never thought i would say early in uh late so testament to him i think just seeing the impact when he's back but because when he was out it was so easy to fool those linebackers right and you just I, shanahan would have had an absolute field day i am curious though you know the eagles pointedly had a lot of success optioning Parsons out of the game. Do you think Kyle Shannon will take, I mean, Jalen, Brock Brady's not Jalen Hurts, so obviously the option game is very different, but do you think schematically he'll be able to mitigate what he does? I, I think so. That That is the best way to stop a top yep. pass rusher in the modern game is to option them and just put doubt in their head as well, where they're supposed to be on the field. You know, I'm on block. Do I go? Do I not go? And in that, that half beat, you're able to get the ball to Debo Samuel and that's a, a massive problem. And in that Eagles game, they did option him in the run game, but the the most the the best options were just the slide stuff and the glance stuff, and it being more of a of yeah. the RSO and I'm going to throw the ball and or I'm going to do the give. It was not that there is still the triple threat of Jalen Hurts. It's what makes those plays unstoppable rather than just being difficult. Is that it becomes a third threat. So I I, I would be. Yeah, pretty surprised if, if Shanahan didn't take a leaf out of that book. But having said that, I mean, they could just line up with their offense because they also have the best left tackle in the game, which is just an unfair advantage. And I know they will move Parsons around. At some point, he'll be on that side. And so they, they just have an unfair advantage here. I mean, even you're talking there about, you know, uh, topping the league in DVOA against uh, throwing yeah. to running backs. It's like, well, is Debo a running back yeah, in, in that right. situation? It's, what is it's McCaffrey? Like it's, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just such a problem. I, yeah, I know. When they, they asked me, like, what defense played them well? And I was like, ah, oh, I mean, I'll go through. <laughs> and also say, you know, I mentioned the Saints. Again, that was kind of before they had really figured out how to use McCaffrey, you know? Because early on in his tenure in San Francisco, I don't think they had quite, Kyle Shanahan hadn't quite, like, leaned into his full skill set as a receiver. Um, that's changed. <laughs> and that's the problem too in terms of the run game is can dallas in any way continue to slow the run and yeah. they have really you know the, the this is where it gets into the bind of where do you play micah because yes in this game as we said up top you just want him pinning his ears back and chasing brock purdy and hoping he can create three huge plays but they are just a much better run defense when he's off the ball he's their best team construct defender by far mm -hmm. and when he played off the ball against the eagles they were instantly much better defending the run and fitting up against the run as a team so if, if Shanahan comes out and says let's test them let's find out you know Brock Purdy it's a big game it's a historical matchup he looked nervous in the in the first two drives against Seattle let's just see what we can get going with the run game and then we can get fancy with, with the play action shots off of that if Dallas cannot stop that then it's not even as much of a discussion about whether they can they can get after it in the run game and then do you start having to move Parsons to try and help with the run and suddenly you've just exposed yourself against the pass it is a, a real dilemma for Dan Quinn it's funny that I just feel like I mean some of this has to do with Dak Prescott and what the Cowboys are capable of with their ceiling on offense but like generally just talking about the Niners offense I feel like it's a lot harder to game plan for them than the Niners defense where they're very good, but I think you teams know what they have to do. You know what I mean? Like it's 
um, you can really look to the examples of teams that have had success using the pass rush aggression against them, putting quarterbacks on the move, going after some of the weak links on the defense. So like they're still fantastic. And, uh, you know, earlier in the year, I think I probably like overpraised them a little bit, but they have weaknesses and ones that I think Dallas can go after. I agree with you. I mean, picking on Lenore is the thing that everyone's trying to do. I think you can get the safeties. I think the safeties yep. play really far off the ball, and everyone loves them because when I think Gibson's actually been better than Hafanga. Hafanga just makes more wild plays and looks cooler. So it's like I was really surprised that he got an all pro. I did not, he was not my choice. That was a very surprising selection to me, as fun as he's been. Yeah, eight weeks through the season, he was a, he was a ball, but. It, you can just get him is he yep. likes to fly down to things and you can bait him into stuff you can high low him pretty easily same thing with the linebackers i mean the, the linebackers are by far the best in the league right if they have the genius in the middle and then the other two guys it, it would be maybe the best two-man tandem in the league if they just played on their own but they just happen to be playing alongside a genius but because they've got these three unbelievable players they want to stay with three guys on the field the entire time and so the best way to get them is to stay in heavy personnel yourself to force them to stay in base and then split from that and try and get to empty or what would be a, a normal spread some kind of 11 look and try to high low those linebackers and as good as they are that is the only way to expose them and the way that D'Amico sets the defense up but so much depth between the linebackers and the safeties there is a ton of space to go attack there and their bet is just that you cannot hit five or six of them before this pass rush can get home because it's so phenomenal that that's the game and the the cowboys have a quarterback I who say. i think is capable <laughs> you, of doing that you know who loves throwing to that part of the field <laughs> i was dominique and i talked this it's just so funny because like so many of the insane throws he made in the last in the um bucks game were like ones that have gotten picked this season they just didn't get picked because the receivers like didn't get bodied or whatever the defenders didn't make a play but i love that he just doesn't give it like that he's just still gonna do it he is still gonna rip rip those balls and um yeah, that, to your point, like that's a, there's definitely going to be opportunities against the Niners' defense in that part of the field. Um, it really just comes down to what you just said, which is, does he have time? So the Cowboys' um, offensive line was very good against Tampa, but they lost Jason Peters. They reshuffled again. I think this means Tyler Smith is back to left tackle, and I don't know. There's been so many iterations of this offensive line. Um, I do think that even though the offensive line looked good in the last game, you're going to want to find ways to buy Dak time, play action, put him on the move. Generally, he should be on the move because that is something we have struggled, the scene that the Niners struggle with, which is quarterbacks who are able to buy time using their legs and then the coverage breaks down a little bit. I actually pulled this because I was curious to look it up. Okay, yeah. So uh, the 49ers defense, when opposing quarterbacks have less than four seconds to throw, yeah, they're the best in the NFL. When quarterbacks have four or more, which is longer developing play, they fall to 30th in EPA per play. Interesting. So, yeah, see if Dak can get that kind of time. And a lot of the, the Cowboys' best designs is purposely slower developing. Um, yes. So that's interesting. I mean, the, the only real way teams have got at the Niners consistently is turn the back play action. They just mm -hmm. have not been that good against it. I think they give up almost 12 yards an attempt against turn the black back play action and um, they've struggled when there's two tight ends on the field they're literally the worst defense in the league against two tight ends on the field in, in coverage up there with the colts and the packers 
that is that is the way to get at them, and it will come down to frustratingly for the Cowboys. I guess they're going to have to run the ball. They're going to have to run the ball just to force the the Niners to stay in base defense, which they would probably do anyway. But you're going to have to show that element just so that then when you go to the play action, the run action part is at least in their head to some degree. As everyone knows, you don't have to run the ball well for play action, but you have to at least sell it well enough for them to to buy that it's going to be play action, and that that is probably Dallas's best best shot here at hitting some kind of explosive plays and to your point getting Dak on the move he, he it's weird watching him because as you're aware the read optional functions basically as, as a Pravda propaganda site for Dak Prescott that is what <laughs> that is why I created the thing that's why it exists is I just he is the most underrated undiscussed uh, maestro the league has um and so I want to see him do the Peyton Manning stuff from the pocket that I know he can do. I love it. You know, I'm a football dog. It's really fun for me. But man, he just has to scramble more. That's just the reality is for them to win playoff games when the roster isn't as good as he needs it to be to play the style he wants in what is traditionally a really high degree difficulty offense, trying to Peyton his way down the field. He just doesn't have the guys around him this year to run that style of offense, either up front or at the skill position uh, spots either. So he has to do way more of the designed runs. They need to really up that. And then he yes. has to just scramble more. I think scrambles this year, he's at like 15 or something. He's now, those, barely those, scrambled, yeah. which is why it was really encouraging to see him use his legs. Like it's, you know, he didn't even put up like it was like less than 30 yards, but every scramble worked. It was, everyone was successful and important. And like, yeah, that's big spots, huge. third down, third and yes. six, two minute drill. And I, I would want that being eight, nine, 10, frankly. Same. I mean, or you just, they just do not have the talent to go one-on-one against this this Niners defense. It has to be that we think we can get four or five of those play-action shots, and you're going to have to get eight, nine scramble, scramble to throw and scramble to run, and that's where we'll have a chance. Where's your like? What's what's your feel for this game right now? I, you know, I, my heart is always <laughs> with Dak, always, and I really do think that they have a chance. I really, really do think they have a chance. It's just mm. in my head, I'm thinking. Am I really going to believe that Brock Purdy, who I actually loved at Iowa State, um, I, I profiled him when he was first at Iowa State, so I've always liked Brock Purdy, uh, but do I really believe in a divisional round in the NFC with a star and a helmet and the 49ers, probably the best matchup we have in football, that he's just going to be fine and unflappable? I know he has been the whole way, right? The whole thing about him is this guy just seems so poised, like he does not care about any of this commotion that's going on, both in the pocket and then all that's happening around him in his life. He just seems unfazed by all of it. But is that going to hold up when Micah Parsons is in his face? Is that going to hold up when Demarcus Lawrence is in his face? Am I going to feel like a buffoon if he throws three picks, as should probably happen to a rookie in that situation? So I, I don't know, but I would also not be flawed if the Niners just put up 40 points again. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it is like a football machine. We just, I, this roster is so good. It's crazy. I mean, I talked a little bit about the performance. I mean, it is there that from top to bottom. There's, I guess the Eagles have a pretty good roster, but man, it's. They I mean they legitimately troubling. run eight deep at pass Russia, where they can allow their best players to take plays off. It's. No one else can do that. There's not another team in the league that has that luxury where they actively say the best thing we can do is like Kawhi and Paul George, let's give our guy some rest so that he can come back fully juiced up for when we really need him. That There's just, yeah, there's no other roster like it in the league. All right, let's take a quick break, come back and finish with five questions. As you guys know, NFL teams can make mistakes when it comes to spending money. For example, cover years, Broncos fans, 
Russell Wilson has a $53 million cap hit this year. <laughs> but uh, unlike the uh, Walton family, I'm guessing people listening to this podcast don't have millions to spend. Maybe some of you do. I don't know. Get at me. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products, and they decided to do something better. They found their own way to make a beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. They have customizable delivery options for scheduled refills as low as $2, which is half of what you pay for big brands. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best does not mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com M-I-N-A. That's harrys.com Mina for a $3 trial set. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience, recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Five questions for our guest, four from me, one from Lenny. Uh, as a reminder, you guys can find Ollie Connolly's work. So I just grabbed your Twitter handle so you guys go look it up. It is, it is your name. It's Ollie Connolly. Yes. So <laughs> you find it there and you can get links to his Substack and everything. Um, okay, first question. Um, news, the Jets are interviewing Nathaniel Hackett for their <laughs> offensive go. coordinator. What would, what, what, my question for you is, I feel like Jets fans who are clamoring for Mike LaFleur's firing, what do you think their reaction would be if they went out and hired Nathaniel Hackett? I'm more interested in the Johnson families. It feels like Robert Sala was told to fire his best friend, and so he he forced the Johnson family to attend the league owners meeting as the people who gave Nathaniel Hackett a million dollars after this season. Um, Just a f you. Yeah, it's it feels that way. I mean, I I don't know the, the Hackett thing was such a debacle. Um, uh, is it purely a play to have any sense of getting Aaron Rodgers? That is the only thing I can think. I just love the idea of Nathaniel Hackett using the potential <laughs> that Aaron Rodgers might come with him to get invitations. It's like being in high school and being like, yeah, my cool friend might come to the party. Just let me know where it is, you know? I don't Did know. you think the LaFleur firing was, was okay? You know my thoughts on, on LaFleur and the design of some of that offense. Um, I mean, I it's... <sighs> What do you do? I felt like like when the Washington when the Commanders fired Scott Turner, it's just like with these horrible quarterbacks, like how much it's so hard to evaluate, you know? Like they both I mean, they both had really, really bad quarterback situations. Um I don't know. To me it's more just kind of about what they do next that'll make me decide if it was a mistake or not. Yeah, the thing that would be the mistake is Hackett. I mean, even for someone yes. who was not in on the Mike LaFleur of it all, I, to go from him to Hackett, which is essentially, please just run the same system again and hope it clicks with a real quarterback, but with someone who is less understanding of the nuances of the system is just a strange mm -hmm. philosophical decision to make as an organization. All right, question number two. Brandon Staley was asked if Doug Peterson outcoached him. Response, not in the first half. <laughs> 
<laughs> Brandon. Brandon, my guy. He used to be so good at quotes. I know. And I generally like him. I like generally like just different kinds of voices in the NFL. And But he's had some pretty rough quotes this year. Um, I guess my question for you, though, is like, did you think that he should be replaced? Or like, how do you feel about that? So they fired Joe Lombardi much to the celebration. <laughs> Saw some really outrageous memes in response to that. But um, Staley is staying. One of the interviews is, is Frank Reich, which is would be is very cool. But uh, how do you feel about Frank Reich? Is great because Frank Reich is is a classic. Like he will have that yeah. job in eight weeks as the head coach. <laughs> I, I don't know how Brandon Stay would allow That's that to walk into point. his building. That, that is, is a what will great point. Danger. Yeah, you um, don't want to be doing that if you're Brandon Staley. Um, how, how do you feel about Staley keeping his job? I think it's fine. I would have moved Staley out if I knew I had Sean Payton in the back. That would have been the move to make. That that franchise was never going to pay the money needed to remove Brandon Staley, yes. bringing Payton, and then you're basically paying head coach salaries throughout the organization to bring his GM, to bring his, his quarterback coach you wanted to bring with him. You'd be keeping Lombardi in the building because he'll probably go with him. You've got to bring in Fangio. <laughs> That's probably a head coach salary. They were never doing that, and so the best bet would be to have Brandon Staley just go away and essentially work as a DC full-time and bring in someone who has real authority to to change the offense. And so you're probably looking at someone who has head coaching experience with a pedigree like, like a Frank Wright. Yeah. I'm, yeah Did you think I, I talked you should have I talked about this for a while on Tuesday, so I won't get into it too much. But um, I, I, I kind of could see the case for it and the case against it. I'm I think like, Ultimately, it's just funny because this is what we talked about on Tuesday. I was like, "Your people are mad at him." It was after I saw that Rex Ryan clip where he's like, "Dude, disrespect of the game." <laughs> I was like, "If you're gonna be mad at this dude, be mad at him for the right things, right?" Which is being weird about injuries this year and letting Joe Lombardi call your offense. Don't get mad at him about something he doesn't even do anymore. It's like stupid. Um, I do think I will say, and, and Dominic, I talk about this. It does seem like the players in the building have really taken to him. I've heard from a few people this year and not 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 him or like actual, you know, players. So um, I do think that's notable. So we'll see. It's a pretty brutal loss. So, OK, I, I still think he yeah. was among the best defensive game planners. Oh, in my God. This year, quite comfortably. And if I you have that, that in the building and you're in the AFC. I would not want to let that go to another building. That is a great point in the AFC in particular. Yeah. Um, I know after the first half, I admittedly to its demands, I was prepared to come on and be like, Brandon Staley. Genius. OK, <laughs> question three. Um, news. Matt Canada, speaking of offensive coordinators, absolutely despised by their fan bases, was returning as a Steelers offensive coordinator, pro or anti? Anti. Just feels like a, a wasted year. Another wasted probably nine weeks. So they don't do in-season firings the Steelers, do they? So they'll let him mm -hmm. hang around another year. They'll do a mutually agreed to part ways after next season. And it'll have been a, a wasted year of Kenny Pickett development if, if you bind to the idea that Kenny Pickett will develop. I'll hit that in the offseason. A lot of thoughts. Um, yeah, that's that's a tough one. Okay, question four. I'm sticking with all these coaching ones. Ben Johnson returning to the Lions as offensive coordinator. My question for you, Lions, Super Bowl? <laughs> Lions, do they roll with Jared Goff again? So is that why Ben Johnson coming back? That was my immediate reaction is that makes me feel like, because I feel like if they weren't, he'd be more likely to leave. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's this is one that's really hard to read. Like, does it mean that all the job openings suck? Does it mean that the Ford family threw him a crazy check? Probably. Does it mean whatever it means, though, or whatever the reason we know that the outcome is, which is it is awesome news for Lions fans. If you were Ben Johnson, would you trade in Detroit as OC to go and be the OC in L.A. with Justin Herbert? 
and potentially have that job as head coach within nine weeks? <laughs> God, the that is such a funny question because like it is the jump that the Chargers offense would make and the credit he would get. Yeah, would be incredible. I that that one almost feels to me like. You know, he, I know he was the popular choice at the moment. He kind of had a, a McVeigh-ness about him, which is this new, fresh, wonderkin white guy, and they they always get the job really fast now. I do wonder if he kind of went into the thing, the recruiting meetings with these recruiters who kind of work for the teams behind the scenes, and it was just became clear to him that he was not the number one candidate anywhere, and he'd be waiting. Mm. And maybe he was not as high within the league in those rankings as, as yeah. other guys were. And like I said, maybe like the more desirable jobs were not a bit. I don't know. It's every time I did like a which job is the best, I was I came out of it thinking, wow, all these jobs are kind of. <laughs> I've not seen him linked to anywhere. Mm. Maybe the Colts. I'm not Carolina, sure where he's yeah. like the, where he's like the number one. That's yeah, the guy they're that's targeting. True. Yeah. All right. Last question, as always, comes from Lenny. Uh, Lenny is enjoying the new iteration of your podcast with John Ledyard. He wants you to answer honestly, which one of you is Mina and which one of you is Lenny? Um, let's see. Who is the rambling dork? Uh, <laughs> Wait, who is that? <laughs> uh, is that? That would be Lenny, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, I, I I, would probably, I mean, John does sit there a lot of the time staring at me, eyes glazed over as I break down coverage concepts, just nodding to me. So I, I'll take the Mina role. Um, <laughs> and John is like, you know, he moves in silence like lasagna. So um, I, I'll give John the Lenny spot. Unfortunately, that means you're saying that John is much more popular and beloved, so we'll have to Facts. bear that cross. 